there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for the week of somewhere in early August, 8th, 9th, thereabouts. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Galaga. <laughs> I'm Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Duke Nukem Forever, still. It's long running. Mm. My name is Ian Poma, and my game of the week is not Open Transport Tycoon. Wait a minute, I thought it, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that in a second. Uh, but first, Ian, some folks on the forum might know you as Angry Coder. That's me. You don't sound that angry. You sound a little laid back for someone who's Angry Coder. Well, that's because I'm not typing to you on the forum. Ah, good point. You I'm, an, that I'm an angry your... typer. I'm actually an all right guy. Have you seen a movie called uh, Up in the Air? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that reminded me of Anna Kendrick's line about how she types with intent. That, that, you know what? I'm, I'm already getting into obscure movie <laughs> minutiae. Let's up, steer me away up from that. Up in the air isn't that obscure. I mean. uh, you know what? But like picking out one little throwaway line yeah. about Anna Kendrick's character being uptight, that's kind of obscure, yeah. That's... Uh, and I will take us down a long, deep rabbit hole a that will end up with path. us talking... And it will end up with us talking about the trailer to Pitch Perfect. I just thought it was her birthday the other day. She's a lot younger than I thought she was. Have you uh, heard her, like, interviewed or anything? No, no I've seen her she's, in that movie and then a couple other ones. but She's whip smart. Have you seen Rocket Science? No, I haven't seen that one. Because she was really, like, I think that was her first movie, and she was so freaking adorable in that. So if you're an Anna Kendrick fan and you're listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, make sure you see Rocket Science, uh, and that's my tip of the week. Uh, but Ian, back to you. You apparently, before we were recording, uh, you live in uh, Pennsylvania, yep. right? What is the deal? It seems to me like pound for pound, everyone from Pennsylvania is awesome. Is that is that a mistaken perception on my part? Yeah, pretty much. It's I don't think people are awesome here. There's like there's like the part of Pennsylvania that's like near Philadelphia, and then there's like right. the rest of the state, which might as well be Alabama. It's very conservative and very weird and there's all the Amish people here and everybody likes to come and look at them because there's some kind of oddity or something it's it's kind of weird here I don't know I'm not originally from now, here so where'd you get where how did you end up in well, where did you come from and how did you end um, up in Pennsylvania I grew up in southern New Jersey just outside Philadelphia mm-hmm. and then from there I ended up in upstate New York when I was about 15 I uh, went to the rest of high school and college up there and then ended up down here after I got um, done with college to take a, to take my first job because there was like I lived in upstate New York and there was like nothing there so I actually moved to uh, to Harrisburg to take a job with a big big now, stinky now, Ian, company. There are two coasts. Uh, you might want to give the other one a shot at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Come on out and you can hang out uh, and we'll, we'll play. Uh, We'll play MUDs, because I hear you're a big fan of MUDs, and mud. <laughs> you apparently like going to MUD conventions. Yeah. True or false? True, but only when I'm dressed up in my, my, my uh, raccoon suit. I love that. Your tanuki? Yeah, exactly. You know it. Now, uh, you actually have been to a MUD convention. Don't dodge the question, Ian. I'm calling you out. <laughs> you have personally gone. You have made the jump from MUDs being an online thing right. to real-life interaction with MUD players. Sorry. How did that go? Yeah, what happened it's, there? It and how did it go? It was pretty creepy. I mean, I had a, I had a couple friends that, that played, and it was, it was only about a t- It was down in D.C., so it was only about a, 
two, three hour drive and they were bugging me. Oh, you got to come down. You got to come down for the weekend and blah, 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 blah. So I got in the car, went down there and it was just, it was creepy. This was probably about 10 years ago before gaming became like mainstream and, you know, you had actual like girls that played Warcraft and all that stuff and, you know, more normal people that, that played those kind of games. And it was just, it was very, very odd. The one, the one memory I had that was very vivid is everybody's, standing outside in front of the hotel like 10 o'clock and I was out there having a smoke and as soon as like it hit 10 o'clock everybody's wristwatches started going off beep 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 and everybody like had to tell like, half the people there had to take their meds so it was <laughs> it was it was very weird are you sure that this was like a mud convention and not some sort of outpatient halfway house for recovering mentally ill people it was possible I mean I, there were some very cool people there but by and large the majority of the people were very strange even by by nerd standards. Uh, so that was your last uh, attempt to attend a mud convention. Mm-hmm. I did. I did now, go to an anime convention once, and that was real. That was a lot of fun. What an anime mm-hmm. convention! Yeah. Why on purpose? Yeah, on purpose. It was fun. <laughs> oh, you know, everybody's, I everybody to... was there all dressed up, and it was all like teenagers and stuff. It was it was fun. I mean, I was young when I did. It was probably early 20s or so, but it was a lot of people, you know, my age or slightly younger, and everybody was, like, really into it and really friendly. It was a ton. It was down in Baltimore. It was the, the big one on the east, east coast of Takan or something. And you got to go there, and they had all these rooms set up where you could watch these these animes that weren't out yet, and they had, like, a big screening room where there was, like, a movie theater and stuff and all these vendors and stuff. is before you could buy, like, everything you wanted on the Internet, and, you know, anime was basically free. You know, you couldn't buy big box sets of stuff. The only way you got to see stuff that that wasn't released mainstream here was by, like, buying copies of videotapes from some dude who was selling them, you know, and that kind of stuff. It was it was a fun time. It wasn't nearly as creepy as the mud convention, so people that are in anime are cool and people that are in muds are creepy. Well, muds are dead, aren't they? Is that even still a thing? I don't think so. I don't think yeah, it's... Yeah, because now you have uh, MMOs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did you dress up as Sailor Moon? No, I did not. Sorry. Right. McMaster, McMaster, if we ever go to a mud convention, can you dress up as Sailor Moon? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, sure. Right. Right. I'm sorry, not a mud convention. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. Sure. If we go, I think it would be more funny if we go to a mud convention and you're dressed up as Sailor I Moon. Will I will if you dress up as Salil Moon Fry. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Isn't that isn't that uh, Frank Zappa's daughter? That's like awesome. Punky Brewster, isn't it? Or something. No, yeah, Salil Moon Fry was Punky Brewster. That's fine, whatever. Either one I prob- works. I, I probably shouldn't know that. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. <laughs> uh, no, it's really let's, not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> let's talk some games of the week because Ian, I have I have an ulterior motive for bringing you here. Um, but before we get to that ulterior Should motive, I get my raccoon suit out. No, that's not. That's oh, okay. no. Keep, keep that in the closet where it belongs. Uh, and McMaster, I love that you know that's a tanuki. Oh, sure, it's a tanuki. There's another uh, famous feature of the Tanuki that they don't really uh, promote that much. The tail spins around and you fly, right? Isn't yeah, that what something, it's, something t- like that. Or it's giant okay. testicles. Whoa, 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 whoa. Save that for the aberrant sexual proclivity podcast. Is that, is that based on actual raccoon anatomy, or is that just a, a feature of the suit? I think that's a feature. Oh, my. No, they're pretty giant. Ugh. I don't even want to know why you would know that, McMaster. Wikipedia uh, is horrifying and beautiful at the same time. Yes. Uh, McMaster, can I recommend typing that into Google Images, by the Ra- way. Raccoon testicles? 
Sure. Giant tanuki balls. Thank you. I'm feeling lucky. That's... (laughs) Man, and I felt bad about going down the movie minutia rabbit hole. And look where you guys took us. (sighs) Let's let's get into some gaming news of the week because this being you know early August, lots of exciting stuff happening in the world of video gaming, right? Lots of big announcements and new. Actually, you know what? There is that. What is Gamescom? Isn't there like some that's, big uh, German? Yeah, German? Yeah, that's a big German thing. Yeah, so you would think there is some news. Uh, there's some stuff we can talk about. McMaster, why don't you start us off? What have you chosen for your news story of the week? Wow, my news story of the week, huh? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's so many. Um, Steam uh, is now offering uh, non-game applications, like uh, Microsoft Word, stuff like that. Right? It's it's kind of like they're they're almost like they're taking a shot at Windows 8. Uh, but yeah, they're offering uh, like actual productivity applications now. Like Photoshop. Can I get Photoshop on Steam? McMaster? I don't know. I don't know if you can get Photoshop. You could probably get that from Adobe. They wouldn't mind. But uh, I don't know about uh, what all. But, yeah, supposedly they'll start offering, like, kind of an Apple app store on the Mac. You can buy just about every program through their app store now. So uh, it's, I guess, kind of try to, like, position themselves as, like, an opponent to Windows 8 uh, in in app or in, uh, you know, whatever, their store. Uh, can I get Angry Birds and Cut the Rope on Steam? <sighs> Maybe eventually. I don't see it not okay. happening. Uh, Steam <laughs> does everything else, basically. So. Uh, all right, so uh, Steam is uh, muscling in on Microsoft's Windows territory, maybe. We'll, we'll see how that goes. McMaster, do you support that, or are you against that? No, I'm fine with it. I, I think it uh, should have happened a long time ago. Yep. Uh, all right, so uh, that's some... There you go. So there's some news in early August. Uh, Ian, what do you have for a news story of the week? Um... EA is suing Zynga for being a bunch of bastards. No, Zynga, they're good people, no, aren't they? Don't they're they? Pretty awesome. They do wonderful. Yeah. They do great things for the world of video gaming. They're they're creative. They uh they're they're consumer friendly. What beef could EA possibly have with Zynga? Well, Zynga's basically been taking games. They've been doing this for a while. They've just been taking games and copying them, like straight up copying them, like just giving them a slightly new skin. They did it with the. The tower building game, and that was just from a little independent developer that only had like a handful of people working there. And then they did it to EA, and EA is like, "Oh no, you didn't. We're going to sue you." So they tried to rip off their their little their sim game, mm-hmm. and uh, EA is not too happy about that. So fortunately, though, Zynga seems to be standing strong, right? Uh, there doesn't seem to be much fallout. The company is uh, healthy and uh, going strong, right? Well, other than the fact that their COO just quit and their their stock's worth probably about, I think it's might be less than two dollars now. So, other than that, they're doing That's, awesome. So, Ian, you would say great, a uh, great time to buy. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, this is a proven business strategy. I'm sure there's there's literally tens of startups forming right now. I like that. Do this. Although, yeah. although this this week, Amazon, <clears throat> excuse me, tying into this, Amazon also just announced that they're going to start doing yeah. social gaming. So, apparently, there's something there. Well, uh, you know, the big thing with Zynga though is like their entire business strategy being based off steel and then litigation. Right. <laughs> and apparently, EA has some money. Unlike the dudes that did Tiny Towers or yeah. any of the other score of games that they've basically straight up lifted. 
So yeah, EA uh, Maxis, uh, they're they're not they're not a little company, you know. Yeah, this isn't going to end well. At the very least, it's going to cost them a ton of money. Which oh, they're not going to have a good time. They uh, they probably don't want to do right now. I, I mean, I don't I don't, so I don't I, know much about business, but I guess you don't want to spend your money doing that kind of stuff. So I've seen that the speculation is that maybe EA is looking to kind of administer a coup de gras. Like basically just weaken them so bad that they're vulnerable to some sort of acquisition or takeover that, that EA is maybe hoping this can take them out of the equation. Right. I mean, the weird, the so, weird thing about them is that they got so many, like, not so many, but they got quite a few good people to join them. That's. Yeah, that's they really the thing did. That, didn't... that always kind of public is how did Soren Johnson end up there? I mean, the, I, I have large amounts of money, I'm sure. The EA social, but the guy that, the guy that wrote the original game, Rogue, you know, roguelikes, all that, yeah. that hack, hack, he works there. The guy that did the original, like, hardcore text-based game, you know, it just, it's odd. Well, and what makes no sense is that all of their games are absolute <laughs> bullshit. Like, they're complete, like, rip-offs of yeah. other games, and there's nothing creative about them. Mm-hmm. Well, but McMaster, some of them you're in like Cowboy Town, in oh, other ones you're like in Farm Town, or you're in Sims Town, or maybe there's like Hospital Town. I hear the guy that made Rogue, I hear the Hospital Town was his idea. That's probably where he pitched yeah. it. But, I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's like, it's the difference between being in a raccoon suit and a rabbit suit. Either way, somebody's fucking in the ass. It's, it doesn't really matter. Wow, Ian, that is a quote for the ages. <laughs> that really is. So I'm going to have that on my That's list. my, that's my summer of, summary of social gaming. So, McMaster, can you do that for me in a framed needlepoint yeah. thing that I can hang up here next to my computer? Uh, do I strike you as the needlepoint type? <laughs> you know what, you're right. You're more like crochet. Yeah, crochet, or, yeah. crochet is always my personal favorite. The yarn's so soft. So my news of the week, uh, we have a... a a fellow from the forum who's a follower of the podcast and a good buddy of ours. He's been on at least once. Uh, Matthew Marengi? Mer- yeah, he's a Marengi. Yeah, that's the big thing. What is Dark Place? That's Garth Marengi. Yeah, it's Garth Marengi. Wait, does Matt have the same last name as Garth Marengi? I don't think so. I think it's Matt. Uh, let me just... Well, at any rate, he posts, as, he posts under the appropriate moniker, considering what I've oh, been yeah. through this week, of... Yeah, okay, you're right. Not quite Marengi. But anyway, he posts as Mary Prankster. Uh, and Matt has sent me uh, a little gift, which is very kind of him, and I felt obligated to try it out because, you know, if you send someone a gift, you're kind of endorsing it. So my news of the week is that I've been playing uh, Aquaman, which is an actual game. I don't know why you would snicker at that, McMaster. Uh, all superheroes get games. Uh, Aquaman is uh, hes like an underwater guy. He can summon uh, dolphins. And two two flavors of sharks. When you're Aquaman and you've stored up your like sea life juice, you can fire it, and either a dolphin will show up, or a hammerhead shark, or a huh. I don't know, maybe it's like a, oh, a mako shark or a sea life shark. juice. Is that what he calls it? That's what I call it. There's probably like I'm sure if I were to read the cutscenes because they're comic book style cutscenes, it might explain it better. But I just call it sea life okay, juice. So you use this, and a dolphin or a hammerhead shark or a regular shark shows up, and it basically rams one of the bad guys out of the way, which I think is a pretty awesome uh, superpower. Um, the problem with this game is that it's made for the Xbox One. Now, I didn't. I guess I wasn't really clear on this. Do you guys know that, for the most part, if you put an Xbox One game in your 360, yeah. it kind of freaking works. Some yeah. of them. Yeah, I mean, like they, they, they got a decent amount. Sure. Yeah, there's 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 only a few of them that really don't work. 
That like you, would, would, you, you would want to bother playing like that that weirdo oh, right. action card game, whatever the hell it was, Phantom Phantom whatever, Phantom Dust. Oh, Phantom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what that was. I think it was Phantom Dust. Wasn't that yeah. it, Tom? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But would you have guessed that Aquaman would work? <laughs> like, I would not have guessed that. For whatever reason, it's, it works fine. They went through this weird phase where they started picking games that were programmed in certain ways and styles and just kind of, I think, trying to batch make them work, if that makes any sense. So that might be why Aquaman ended up. I doubt they were like, oh, hell yes, let's get Aquaman up in <laughs> But like, <laughs> Well, you figure the guys that made Aquaman didn't write their own engine for it because nobody's right. Been- Nobody's that crazy, so it probably runs on some engine that... Now, Ian, hold on. An Aquaman game has a whole different set of requirements than a normal game. It's got to be underwater. You've got to have... uh, It's got to be absolute bullshit. (laughs) You need your uh, sea life juice. You need your water juice and your dolphins, so... Yep. Pretty sure uh, you could, I'm pretty sure you could do that on the Genesis. So. Yeah. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, wasn't there that... Uh, what was that, <laughs> what was that dolphin game? Yeah, yeah, Eco the Dolphin, yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but also Aquaman has long, flowing blonde hair. Oh, so it had some really sweet, like, uh, hair texture going on. You can't just fake that. You can't just put a plastic helmet on him like you can in Doom 3. You know, Doom 3, the hair in the Aquaman Xbox One game beats the hair in Doom 3, hands down. Uh, what other unique aspects do you need? You need to have, uh, I guess I mentioned the underwater, so you need to have your character move slowly and sluggishly, because that's that's what it's like underwater. Uh, what else do you need? Uh, I guess that's it. Oh, you know what? You need an open world game. Aquaman, not really an open world game, but you're swimming around Atlantis, like you're swimming around a city, for Pete's so sake. Like, How it's many like Grand Theft Auto, basically? Well, but without the cars, without the minigame activities, without you the... You like a shark? No, you can't ride a shark, Ian. Come on. Everybody knows that. Uh, there are, however, little... Uh, like, maybe you'll play for, like, ten minutes and see one submarine, like, off in the distance, like, driving around. Uh, so it's it's like Grand Theft Auto, but without any activity in it. Um, uh, so, I don't... Yeah, I don't know if it's their own engine. Um, I played through like about five missions before realizing that I had been had, and that it is in fact not an awesome game. Oh my god, really? Yeah, he asked me about it first, and I was like, I think Tom will love it. So when it showed up, I was like, oh, cute, you know? Yeah, let's let me let me educate myself as to Aquaman, and I even sat through a few of the little cutscenes. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know if you guys know this. One of his enemies is called Black Manta, yep. and he looks he looks like a he's got like a weird bug face. Sounds thing. pretty racist. Um, Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. I didn't even think so of that. Racist. Yeah. Uh, I don't what know if you fight Black Manta. I mean, why he's, is... uh, he's he might. Yeah, who knows? He might be a good man. Guy. Black Manta <laughs> that was a real thing. Just so you know, there's an Manta actual thing. Uh, there, there's a mission where you uh, get this. You don't see this in games very often. You have to swim around and defuse bombs. What? Really? Wow. Yep. Is there an uh, escort there's... mission? Uh, yes, you swim around and you you protect people who are getting beat up. That you're not really escorting them because they're not going anywhere, but you're 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 basically. How are they getting beat up as, if they're underwater? Oh, they Ian, you have no. No, you, when you when you fight an Aquaman, you like swim over and then you just kind of hover there and you punch people. That's how real fighting in Atlantis well, works. What are the people doing uh, down there? How are they breathing? Or is this? They're mer, mer people. I mean, mer I mean, people. Come on, what are you a rookie? I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I think we need. I think yeah. we need Bruce on here to talk about the historical accuracy of the Aquaman game. 
and the physiology involved because you have to have I don't know what gills or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I played through like five missions, and uh, I think it's going to live on one of my shelves now. <laughs> um, <laughs> A very popular one, I'm sure. <laughs> By the way, when it showed up, uh, I just sort of glanced at the box when I was opening it, and I was like, oh, okay, THQ made this. It can't be that bad. Oh. And I put it in, and I was playing it, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. And then I looked again at the box, yeah, and I it's realized... It's not THQ. <laughs> it's not THQ. It is TDK. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which, who we all know is the people, I guess, who make, uh, like, tapes, yeah. those ancient things we used to use to listen to music. <laughs> So, anyway, Mary Prankster, thank you so much for my Aquaman game. You have not dissuaded me from thinking that Aquaman is cool, but I do think that the Aquaman game is lame. It doesn't mean the superhero is lame. I just want to specify. Uh, also, by the way, if you look at Aquaman from behind, oh no, maybe I shouldn't say this, but because he's got the long, flowing blonde hair, and he wears this weird—it's almost like a halter top. Uh, he, you could, if you're not paying close attention, you could think, "Hey, Aquaman's a hot chick." That's horrifying. Yeah, it kind know. of is. I shouldn't have said that. You know what? Let me edit this out of the podcast. No, I don't, no, that needs I, to stay. <laughs> I think you should make this a regular feature. Just have people send you random horrible games, and you'll play them and talk about them on the podcast. Well, you know what? I, Ian, people do that, and they're called uh, PR folks. <laughs> <laughs> they're called EA. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a name for those guys. <laughs> All right, so that was me uh, sort of bunting for news of the week. Now let's get into some uh, heavier stuff. And, Ian, this is where uh, I really need your help, uh, and I want to thank you. But before we get to that, McMaster, what do you have for a game of the week? For a game of the week? Good. Good. Yeah, I know. Well, there's only two things I've played, and uh, that's Orcs Must Die 2 and Fallout New Vegas. So I will let you pick which is more exciting to you. You know what? They're both exciting, uh, and I would love to hear about... We talked a bit about Orcs Must Die last week, but I would love to hear more about you playing Fallout New All Vegas, because right. you're using you're using some sort of, like, visual splendor mod, and you're playing on the PC, right? Right. Um, yeah, uh, it's funny. I ended up uh, getting it during the Steam sale uh, really cheap, and um, I had not really played much out on the 360, which I, when I say not much, I think I probably played 20-plus hours, but for Fallout, that's not really that much. And um, I kind of lost interest, and uh, I never really understood why. And then when I started playing with it on the PC, I, I think I understand why. It's it's a much more hardcore game than Fallout 3. Like, it, There's a lot more going on, I mm-hmm. think, in the background, a lot more systems. And for some reason, it just feels more at home to me on the PC. Um, specifically since they've added so many different, like, uh, weapon, like, or, yeah, well, weapons, but obviously, but like the damage threshold and stuff like that, where you actually need to be accurate when shooting something if you can't just use bats all the time. And, uh, that makes a huge difference. Um, it definitely feels like the second iteration of a cool system yeah. where they, they sort of identify some problem points, some balance issues, uh, some, you know, they put some more cool gameplay into it. Uh, they, they definitely benefit from building on the groundwork that Bethesda laid in, in New I Vegas. I think so, too. And, like, you know, I think there's a special place in my heart always for Fallout 3 just because, I don't know, I just, I, I was really amazed at how well they captured Fallout. Um but uh, I, in, the, in a way, New Vegas is uh, is so much better, uh, I think, than I gave it credit initially. Um, it's uh, what I've done is uh, I couldn't really get all of McCullough's stuff working because Jason McCullough loves to put together these giant 
like scripts that put together all these mods for Fallout, or he did one for Oblivion, um, and uh, his is uh, out of date now. So I started looking around. And there's this thing called uh, Fook, F-O-O-K, and there's one for New Vegas, and it's this huge collection of like texture upgrades and patches and like little fixes here and there, like one or two like little added areas that are cool, stuff like that, um, and that just kind of adds a lot of, like, extra heft to the game. And then uh, I found this other mod called Fellout, which uh, kind of takes a lot of the orange out of it um, and uh, kind of normalizes everything. also makes night pretty dark, which a lot of people, I, I could guess, wouldn't like. I kind of like it because at least it makes night. I mean, because night in New Vegas, it looks like day. Uh, it's it's like daytime but blue. Right, it, it's so weird. Uh, but this actually puts like a lot of uh, emphasis on the lighting and what it looks like at night and everything. And uh, that with just like a couple of other little mods uh, make the game a completely different experience than when I played it on the 360. So I, I'm having a really good time with it. It's uh, it's certainly uh, a lot better than I remember. So, Ian, are you a uh, much of a Bethesda open-world gamer type guy? I like their games, but I hate their gameplay systems. I think their their right. leveling stuff is all weird, and I play a lot of, like, action-y kind of games, so it's like I start playing it, and then as soon as I get to something where I've got to do a lot of combat, I'm just like, this is terrible. So if it, so if then it you had better, if it was more like Demon Souls or something like that, it would be great, you know, but their stuff now, is kind of... Tried- have you tried New Vegas? Yeah, I have, and it just felt like a crappy okay. first-person shooter for the combat rather than crappy sword and board. Um, he, I like, I like know, the worlds that they create, and I've, I, I go around and play with it, but I always just lose interest as soon as I get to anything that has to do has to do with a lot of the combat because I just they don't seem like they they know what they know what they're doing, and they this is their huh. fourth or fifth try now, and it just doesn't really it never feels satisfying. So well, to be fair though, I get I certainly get what you're saying, uh, and we mentioned this I think briefly last week when we talked about New Vegas finally working for me, uh, but. Uh, New Vegas is Obsidian, uh, and they're building on what Bethesda right, has done. Yeah. But, but more to the point, the VATS system that McMaster just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, lets you sidestep that awkward, weird, yeah, that's true. non-Demon that's true. Souls combat and almost play it as like a turn-based combat thing. Which uh, is what actually is a huge selling point to me. Like, And this isn't anything against Skyrim. I, I really like Skyrim, but I find myself a lot more fascinated with the Fallout world than the Elder Scrolls world. And I think part of that is because it's just so less interesting to play the actual Elder Scrolls games from an action standpoint. Right. Now, McMaster, are you playing in... You mentioned it being more hardcore. There is... I think it's even called hardcore mode. No, I'm not playing in hardcore mode. Well, that just adds, okay, like, no, the need for food and stuff right. like that. And then it's not which, like... Which, by the way, I love because that's a bit of a uh, unique flavor sure. to that post-apocalyptic setting. You know, you need food. Your your healing doesn't immediately repair you. You know, a limb that is broken needs a different kind of treatment than just, like, something that chips away some hit points. you got to watch your radiation, your thirst. Like, it, it's a layer of busy work, but when you really think about it, what game isn't just layers of busy work? Well, uh, sure. Yeah, I, mean, uh, so I, I really like. I actually played a few levels. I, I just, I don't know. I just kind of get more obsessed with the idea of like going around doing really uh, awesome stuff in vats and uh, stuff like that. Okay. Right. All right. 
All right, so at Game of the Week, now, McMaster, are you using any downloadable content, like Blood Money? Uh, or yeah, lo- actually, the Steam version was on sale really cheap, and it was like $10 for everything. So that's one thing that would kind of ruin hardcore for me, is one of the items is a canteen that your character just drinks out of regularly, no matter what. So, like, you know, I mean, I could just throw it away or something, but who's going to do that? Wait, you mean it basically turns off the thirst? It basically, uh, yeah. It's just like... That's- that's terrible downloadable content. I know, it's weird. Like, some of it is really bad, and I've heard Did some Did you get the Porta Potty DLC? I heard that was pretty awesome, too. Oh, it's great. <laughs> no, it's I, a little portable sanitation system you carry around with you. It's great. Yeah. Uh, McMaster, for 99 cents, you can get, uh, you can get a sunblock for your character <laughs> as well. A horse sunblock. So I actually, uh, I have like, uh, I have here at my house, I have a six computer LAN, uh, and each computer has its own installation of Steam. Uh, and I have a friend of mine named Kelly Wand, who I do a movie podcast with. And Kelly is kind of, um, you might say he can be a bit spacey sometimes. Uh, so at one point, I had let Kelly log into my Steam account from his house because we were playing something for an article we were writing. I forget what it was. But he got to log into my Steam account, one of them from my, my house here. I hope that's not illegal, by the way. If you're from Valve and you hear me say that, this is strictly fictional. Uh, but so he had logged in and... Uh, we played something and then we moved on. And I got a sort of a sheepish email from Kelly uh, a few days later saying, Hey, I just bought Fallout New Vegas because I'm really keen to play it on the PC, but I accidentally bought it lo- logged into your Steam account. So, <laughs> I give to you. So, here you go. You now have a copy of Fallout New Vegas on the PC because I just went and rebought it as well. So, so I actually own McMaster Fallout New Vegas on the PC, courtesy of my spaced out friend Kelly Wand. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. you should totally play it on the PC. I honestly think it's better than the 360 version, and I, I lost a lot of time too. I was like level 20 something, I think, uh, when I started. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm not playing. Uh, I'm not. I'm not getting rid of my 30 hours of progress into my beret wearing, flamethrower wielding old guy. Who, who do you uh, have with you? Uh, the uh, Cass Rose of Sharon. No, what's her name? The her, for some reason I want to call her Rose or Cass. She's like a cow chick. Uh, Are you going to say Ross of Sharon or something like from Steinbeck? Great Wrath. Shut up! Oh, I was actually. <laughs> There's a, there's a there's a, isn't there a Rose of Sharon in uh, As I Lay Dying the Fall yeah, yeah, thing? Yeah. I think that's what I was thinking of. But is there is her name Cass or Rose? I don't know what I was gonna say. She's a chick with a cowboy hat is all I know, and she has a rifle. I have her with me and a uh, some the, the, floating the robot. robot. Yeah, that's Eddie. Um, yeah, I always I always go with Boone just because Boone's so angry at everything. He's the sniper Boone? dude. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's in my party. Did he join me? Like I did that whole quest. Oh, that's a great quest. But uh, I, I love Boone because I always play where I kill the Legion, and uh, and Boone hates the Legion. And also, he's a sniper, so you'll just be wandering around, and then all of a sudden, your game right. goes into slow motion and something dies that you never saw. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I, yeah, yeah. His whole thing is, don't worry, I got it covered. I yeah, that's, that's one encounter you don't have to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Boone just murders everything he sees. Well, wait, what is that chick's name, then? Is it Cass? I don't know. Uh, the only one I can remember is the girl that you meet at that trading post. I don't even remember her name. Yeah, 
Because she's at the trading post. You do an investigation to help her find out why her caravans have been sabotaged. Oh, it ends up where you have to choose between her and the people who run the it's energy the weapons caravan, store. Uh, people, right? Because they, they, they send you down there to try to get by her caravan or some goofy stuff like that. Yeah, well, I don't. Yeah, but then you later find out that the people who run the energy weapons store hate her and, and want her killed. Uh, so, because my dude's like an energy gunner, I have to decide between okay, do I appease them or do I stick with? I think her name is Cass, but I don't know why I wanted to call her Rosa Sharon. So that's actually both of those are her names. Cass Rosa Sharon. It's Rose of Sharon Cassidy, also known as Cass. Thank you, Ian. I feel vindicated. What do you think of that, McMaster? I'm the official. I'm the official <laughs> podcast fact checker. So, <laughs> well done, Ian. Uh, well played. Yeah, my keyboard uh, right. too loudly for fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got one of those too, but oh. I was using my quiet keyboard. All right, so Mr. Fact Checker Ian, yes. what would you pick for your game of the week? Wait, do I? Yeah, no, I'll go last. What would you pick for your game of the week? Um, I started playing Open Transport Tycoon or Open Transport Tycoon Deluxe, whatever the actual name of it is. From a Chris Sawyer design, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah it's, yeah, it's an upgraded version of the old DOS game, I guess. And uh, oh, it's, nice. pretty, it's pretty interesting. I never really played any of those Railroad Tycoon or that kind of stuff. I've played a lot of city builders, but I've never actually gotten into the moving goods around and everything. Um, I started playing Railroad Tycoon a little bit, and I thought, I was like, ah, this is kind of interesting, but... There's not really that much to do, so I was reading around on the web and found the Open Transport Tycoon thing. And now, real quick, Ian. So I want to say, when you say you started playing Railroad Tycoon, do you mean the the that most recent sort of remake of it, or the original? No, one? it was the second one, the gold version, because I picked it up in one of the one of the recent Steam sales for like five bucks or something like that. And I was like, so, so oh, I've never the Railroad Tycoon two, the one that Phil oh rats, what's his name? The one that popped Phil Stein. Yeah, popped Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, and, no, pop uh, and you pop top. Pop. Yes, and that, that you feel cool that one. Popcap did a did a railroad tycoon game though. Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> now you say that that didn't really hold up. No, it, it was good. I was just playing, it and I'm like, all I'm really doing here is laying track. And then there's the stock market thing, and it wasn't really it didn't really have much to do with. I, I don't know. I was just looking around. And it was like, oh, there's this thing where you can build roads and trains and planes. So I started once I figured out how to play that. Cause that's a little bit of a learning curve, but there's some pretty good tutorials on YouTube. But it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's. You, you kind of go and you find resources. It's got a nice little map overlay, so you can you can highlight um, what industries are near each other and what supply points, like where the coal mines are and then where the power plants are. And then you, you start setting up transport routes between them. So it's an isometric map, so it actually height is involved with how you're building things. So um, you can start laying down train routes, or you can connect um, connect the cities with roads and run bus routes for passenger traffic. And uh, once you get into it, it's there, there's not a whole lot to it. But then, so I started to lose interest in it. Um, but then I discovered the railroad signals, and that is like a whole other. You could make a game just of laying down railroad track and trying to get the signals set up so that trains wouldn't crash into each other and everybody dies. So that's that's basically the game I've been playing most this week is trying not to kill people. And isn't it that whole thing though of combining resources to make new resources? and watching cities develop. Like, isn't that, as you are connecting resources and linking them up, does the map change? Yeah, like, the, the cities will grow depending on what you do. So if you have if you have cities set up to, to have passenger traffic, you know, as cities get more connected, they start growing, and there's actual supply chains that are a little bit like 
um, the Anno games or something like that. So you, you know, right. you, you set up a, a train depot next to the, the, the iron ore mine and take that to a factory and then the factory will start producing goods. And then you can set up shipping from the goods, you know, to take the goods from the factories to where the houses are. And, uh, the more things become supplied, the more things grow, the more demand goes up. Um, there doesn't, it, it's, it's really kind of an open world, freeformy kind of game because once you get, once you get going with things, um, you really don't run into too many problems and you pretty much just start making infinite money as long as you're not doing terrible things. Like if you, basically if you start the game off and plop down an airport between two cities, um, you make, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year fairly quickly and that'll be enough to fund whatever else you want to do. So it's, it's, it's kind of a laid back game. It's like, it, it almost gets in the kind of mode with SimCity where you're just kind of building things up, but then every once in a while a disaster will happen. Except I haven't really mm-hmm. seen stuff like that with the Transport Tycoon. So you kind of just make your own disasters by trying to overwork your, your train tracks and getting the signals wrong. Now, what Sawyer ended up doing with um, with rail ro- or, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon is arranging the scenarios into like little challenges, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. There's no framework like that for Transport Tycoon? There are scenarios and stuff, but they're more just like height maps. So it'll be like a map of the eastern U.S. and stuff like that. Um, there are AI opponents. I guess the game shipped with oh. very limited AI, but... Everything is ba- you can basically go when you start up the game. You can go into almost like a content browser that connects to the whatever the main web re- repository is for all the mod files and everything. So you can download new trains, you can download new AIs, you can download new graphical skins for the game, um, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So I dropped a, I downloaded a couple of the AIs and dropped them in my game, and they kind of just went crazy and like took over the map because I was still trying to figure out how things work and everything and you'd go to set up a route and then he would plop down a route right next to it and uh you'd be like oh half my stuff is gone now so i'm not making much money um well that now ian you just you made me now think hey that sounds like an awesome challenge right like you before said there's not much challenge but you just now made me think oh i totally want to play this as like a competitive multiplayer right. uh, the ais are like really good i mean they're they're not like oh, wow this ai is brilliant but they can build a lot faster than you do and once they get the money going there's really nothing stopping them from just going crazy and wiring up every town on the map while you're still... Because you figure, I mean, this is still a 2D, you know, isometric interface, and it's not very friendly. So you're doing a lot of, like, manually scrolling around the map and then laying out roads and getting them just so they're just right, so they're not going up too much of a hill and stuff like that. So you're doing a lot of fiddling around, like, populist style, where you're raising and lowering the terrain. Right. And meanwhile, the computer's like, oh, yeah, I just basically connected the entire southern half of the map <laughs> while you were laying down that one train track. <laughs> now, now, this being called Open Transport Tycoon, so what exactly does that mean? Anybody can go and get it for free? Yeah. Is that really what's going on? Yeah, no, come on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically they took, they took it and wrote a whole new engine for it. And if you have the original Transport Tycoon, you could take your Transport Tycoon CD and take the data files off there and plop it into Open Transport Tycoon and it would work. Or since this has been out for a couple of years now, people have actually made replacement graphic packs, so you don't have to actually own Transport Tycoon at all because people have made their own art for it. You just drop that in, and it works. It's kind of like the the Ultima Seven Exalt thing, or Ultima Six, or whichever one that is that has the the open source engine that replaces the original uh, executable. 
Now, does it have multiplayer? Because I need to play with McMaster, and I need him to just just harvest coal. Yeah, I was actually I was actually reading about that on on quarter to three, and it actually sounded kind of cool. Basically, you can set up a server and tell it to run for a week or something like that, and then Minecraft, and then everybody can just connect to it whenever they want. You know, it's like a real time asynchronous game, and you just sign into it when you want. It's like a private server, so you could you could set up a quarter to three server and tell everybody on the forums to say, hey. Go to my server, make your guy, and whoever has the most money at the end of the week wins, you know? All right, McMaster, I need you to just go in there and, and set up a coal mine and supply my factories with coal. Can you handle that? Yeah. <laughs> just coal. Don't do anything fancy. I'm going to be making automobiles. You just schlep coal with your train. All right, I want a free automobile. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Oh. There's there's a lot of cool stuff out there that they did with the, mob, the mods that really... Uh, up the supply chains and stuff like that, so you get a lot more dependencies on different types of goods and stuff like that. Because the original game is, it seems like it's kind of limited. There's only maybe like you know, ten or fifteen different different you know resources that you can take to different supply points and stuff like that. But the the mods out there really add a lot of a lot of complexity to it. I haven't tinkered around with them too much, but it seems like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there. It's pretty good. All right, for free. Cool. So a little uh, a little uh, retro love for uh, Open Transport Tycoon. Uh, my game of the week now, speaking of retro. So, Ian, I uh, recently got an iPad, uh, courtesy of some very generous folks on the forum. And one of the things I was doing with the iPad is maybe trying genres that I wouldn't normally play. Uh, so I was at a, uh, a friend of mine. You know, when, you, when two people have iPads and they, they converge at the same place, they'll tend to show each other, oh, here's what I've got on my iPad Here's what I've got on my iPad. And you do this kind of show-and-tell thing. So I was doing this with another guy, and he showed me some game that had some name that I couldn't pronounce, Escaluda or whatever, yeah. who knows what that is. So uh, he shows it to me, and he's like, oh, and here's another thing I'm playing. And he boots it up, and I watch him fiddle with it, and I immediately know, damn it, I'm about to go down a rabbit hole. Because I was like, wow, I want to try that. And I know that it's a whole other genre of things that I'm going to want to explore. And sure enough... I've been getting into, I've been on this crazy binge for, I guess what you would call shmups, as much as I hate that word, on the iPad. And, and Ian, you were hugely helpful in terms of recommending a couple, mm-hmm. uh, which, good Lord, I am in love with. So, I want to talk shmups with you. Okay. F- first of all, why do you know about this genre? H- how did you get into these? Because it seems like it's not something. If you just dabble in these games, yeah. it seems like you're you're missing the point. It's like they're almost like fighting yeah. games that anybody can sit down and just press a bunch of buttons and watch people punch and kick. But to really appreciate the genre, it, it requires like an investment. Yeah, um, yeah. they're they're so, pretty so, obtuse and pretty obscure, and most of them mm-hmm. aren't even available in this country. Um, the way mm-hmm. I got involved with them is when I was a kid. Um, my parents would go grocery shopping every weekend. You know, I was maybe five, six years old. And when my mom went over to the grocery store, my dad would take me over to the little mall that was next door, and we would spend an hour in the arcade. And you know, one of my favorite games was Galaga. You know, I loved Galaga and stuff. So when I got a, you know, when I got a computer and stuff, I would always be looking for games that are, oh, what do they have out there that's like Galaga? You know, download these little demos and shareware programs and stuff like that. And that went on for for years. And you find some, you know crappy clones and stuff like that and I didn't know this was like an actual genre of game so you fast forward maybe 
I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, and then I found out, oh, these kind of games that you like, there's like way better versions of them that actually have scrolling and stuff like that, and most of them are only available in Japan, and you've never heard about it. So it was like discovering this this whole new world, and you find the forums for it and stuff like that, and that's basically how I got into it. But it was kind now, of on break- accident. I was just I was always looking for, oh, I wish there were more games like Galaga. I didn't know there was a whole genre of these games that, you know, because I think everybody everybody knows, like guys our age certainly know Galaga or Space Invaders. Yeah. Like we've all dabbled with this, and anybody who got like a Genesis has probably got one or two games that they may not have gotten very far yeah. with, but they're basically playing a shmup. Um, so, so can you break down for me? First of all, I hate the word shmup. Right. It just sounds like some Yiddish name for a potato cake or something. Uh, what what? Are there other terms I can be using that don't sound so awful? Um, the, the ones that aren't so awful are either shooting game or STG, as you see it abbreviated a lot as that. Especially, and what like, does that even mean? I, don't, I, can't, I, I, always, I, can't I always say it in my head. I usually see it on, on Japanese sites and stuff that refer to the genre as STG or shooting game. So I just think of shooting STG as an abbreviation for shooting game because I think, it's not I think you do shmup is just a... A bastardization that somebody co-opted up. for the website, you know. Um, and when I see when I see shmup, I say shump in my head because it flows a little bit better than you know um, shmup because that just that sounds terrible. It's well, shmup also it sounds like smurf sex or something weird. Mm. You know, it, uh, yeah. So both of those words show, for me, a fundamental misunderstanding of how to do abbreviations right, because right. You're, you don't put a T for shoot right. shoot the game and right. sh- shump. Well, well, I agree that shump could be like some weird Japanese trans. You know, those the S and the T and the G could actually be three Japanese words or something. I have no idea. Just, uh, yeah, I prefer bullet hell. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so let's get it. There's that. Yeah, so there's, you know. So what is that word? What is, so bullet hell, and what's the word you just said, Ian? I think Danmaku is just the Japanese word for bullet hell. I kind of want to use that. That's not Danmaku? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like a pretender, but I'm going to try to float that. We'll see if it takes. Uh, so so are, is there then a difference between a shmup, a bullet hell game, and an STG? Like, those words can be used interchangeably? Um, usually when you talk about the bullet hell games, you're talking about the, the newer stuff, like stuff from Cave onwards. Um, like, you wouldn't call Gradius a bullet hell game. You wouldn't call Xevious a bullet hell game. You wouldn't call Galaga a bullet hell game. There's, I mean, right. it, you're talking about this community, and people get involved in such minutia over what is and isn't a shmup, you know, that there's people right. out there that'll claim that Galaga isn't even really a shmup because the screen, it's a single-screen shooter, you know. There's no scrolling. There's no stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, typically when you're talking bullet hell, you're talking... Uh, the more modern stuff, the Dud on Patchy, the, the the Bug Princess, the ESP Galuda, all the stuff, all the crazy stuff like that. Uh, I always think of like Raiden, like I said, or whatever. That was another one that always comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Raiden, Raiden was probably one of the the first one, one of the like... one of the big ones. It wasn't really Bullet Hell, but it was it was definitely probably the last really big mainstream, you know, for for vertical right. scrolling games. Because before that, well, the only one that was really popular at all in terms of vertical games was probably Xevious, you know? Oh, sure. That, in, in, at least in the U.S., the horizontal games were always um, much more popular, like the Gradius, the, the Thunder Force games on the Genesis, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, all I can say is it's a darn shame that uh, Wolfenstein 3D came along and basically ruined the term shooter. Yeah, exactly. Because 
I would much rather just call these shooters, but that's already a, yeah. another And that's, song. that's yeah. why they have all these weird names, because you can't just say shooter, because you say shooter and everybody thinks of, you know, first-person shooters. So. The, well, you know what? You know what? The three of us, better. let's let's take back the name shooter. Sure. Let's let's start it with the three of us. I want you both to tell ten friends uh, today to to stop calling first person shooters shooters. Call them uh, uh, fupas. There's fupas and there's shooters. First person shooters. Bring it up to the next mud convention I go to. Yes, exactly. Those people will do anything you tell them to do. Uh, So, uh, Ian, um, what do you personally look for? So, when I first was asking about this, this Espigaluda thing, I didn't know if I should buy that. I was aghast to discover, by the way, the pricing structure uh. for these cave games. We'll get to that in a second. But because of that, I thought, well, I need to consult a professional. So, I, I asked a couple of folks on Quarter to Three, some of whom were hugely helpful. I want to call out... Oh, Ratch, Ross McPherson? I'm going to screw up his name. But, but Ross was hugely helpful, and you, Ian, were hugely helpful. So I want to ask, what do you look for in a good shooter? Like, like what makes a game, one game, something that you're going to play versus something that you're like, I want no part of that? Um, well, I think all, all shoot-em-ups are, you know, enjoyable for the first, you know, half dozen, dozen plays. Because it's, it's a new game. You're like, oh, this is something cool. But uh, in order for that to be something that you're going to spend a significant amount of time with, because people look at the shoot 'em ups and they're like, oh, what is the deal with this? I paid 50, 60 bucks for a game and you can beat it in 20 minutes, half an hour. It's like, well, no, you really can't. This is a game that you're going to spend, you know, 40, 80, 100 hours getting good at so that you can, you can beat it on a single credit and then you're playing for score after that. Or maybe you're playing, you don't care about beating it on a single credit and you're just playing from score at the start. So it has to have a good a good scoring system to keep you interested um, in the game while you're learning how to play it because you're going to play the first level over and over again hundreds of times maybe so you know just and just, playing, you just playing for survival is like great at first but after you've done that maybe a dozen or two times you're going to be like I'm bored with this and you're going to move on to something else but if there's a good scoring system in there you're always going to have something to focus on. Even if it's the first level of the game and it's so easy and you don't care, you can all, you're always looking for ways to make your score a little bit better. Or maybe you don't know how to score at all, and you're like, I'm bored with this level. I'm going to start looking at how the scoring system works. And then you're going to start getting ten times more points. You know? And then that's going, to be, that's, what's going to, that's going to be the hook that keeps you, you interested in the game while you're, you're undertaking this huge task of how do I dodge all these damn bullets and how do I do, without, how do, I do it without you know, using five continues, you know. I think that's the key, by the way, to appreciating this genre, is you can't think of the content as how many levels are right. in this. If that's your approach, and that's so many, that's the approach that we take towards so many other genres, if that's your approach, you are going to miss the point, right. I, I sort of feel. It's um, not just, you're going to get bored, and you're going to stop playing it, and you're going to be like, oh, that was fun, but there's not going to be a hook to do it, because the first couple levels are so easy. There's just, there's nothing... You, you can think, oh, I'm just going to play for survival, but chances are you're going to lose interest before you, you know, you finish playing for survival because it's just not interesting. So, so what's an example of a game? And by the way, just for, to throw this out there, my game of the week is Bug Princess Two because of all these games I've looked at, that one has so gotten its hooks into yeah. me. Partly because I love the scoring system, I love the risk reward, mm-hmm. I love the look of it, I love the sound of it. I even love, and I think this might be a Stockholm situation. I even love the music, I like which I played at the top of the. And I think it's an issue though, where I've just heard it yeah. so much that it, it becomes familiar and pleasant. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily good music, as I just happen to like mm-hmm. it. Uh, but so my game of the week is definitely Bug Princess Two. So we'll, we'll touch on that a few times. But 
that game, as well as maybe some others, what are some examples of a good scoring system, in your opinion? Well, there's a bunch of different types of scoring system, and then they, mm-hmm. you get in all the hybrids between them. But um, Bug Princess uses a... Well, there's actually two different... Well, and if you're including black level, there's there's three different scoring systems. But just in the, in the basic version of Bug Princess, there's two different scoring systems. I imagine you've mostly been playing original mode. How dare you? How how dare what? you, sir? Well, basically, <laughs> I, I love no, I love Maniac oh, you mode. Do? I, you, I can't go back. Do you understand what mode. the scoring is in Maniac mode? Or yeah, oh, okay. yeah. yeah. I, I, do I understand? I mean, it's so one of the beauties yeah. of Bug Princess too, Ian, is how the scoring is right. is. There's bullet hell, but this is like score hell because you turn all the bullets into these massive numbers. You literally cram the screen full, like every pixel is full of your score. I love that. And it's so, it's such this intuitive way to sort of, not intuitive, but it's such a visceral, visual way to reinforce the scoring mechanism. And that's that's what a good scoring is going to do. Is it's going to have that, Mm -hmm. you're going to start playing it, you're just going to be playing it for survival. And oh, look at the explosions and all these crazy bullet patterns. And then you're going to start, oh, I wonder how scoring works. And you're going to start to understand a little bit. And then once you understand it, you're still not really going to understand what you're doing until you start doing it well. And then you're going to right. get this amazing push and pull kind of system where, you know, it's almost like every five seconds of the game is like you're setting off one of the explosions in Peggle or something. You know, when you set off yes. the, the winning mode and the screen is lighting up and it's just great feedback loop. And you're like, oh, my God. And then you're like... I want to know how to do that all the time, and then you're hooked because you know that's when the games you've got you've got the necessary interest to be able to to figure out you want to do that all the time. You want to figure out how to do that on all the levels. What's the best place to do it? It's got that great push pull system where you're building up some kind of meter, and then you're figuring out where's the best place to cash this meter in, and then where you know how can I build that meter up again as quickly as possible. So there, it just yeah. adds. It's just there's that that infinite variety there of of when to do it, and then, well, maybe the place I'm doing it, I get a bunch of points, but then it takes me forever to build the meter up back up after that. Um, Ian, I just want to highlight, your, you, you, you mentioned this, and I think it's brilliant, the Peggle comparison, absolutely. Right. Where, where, whereas Peggle is just randomness. Mm-hmm. Like, like Peggle, and anybody can appreciate it, right. it's like Peggle, but where you have control, right. with that same amount of just over-the-top, crazy gratification with what, what awesome chain reactions you're setting right. off. Uh, so why don't you explain for folks like laymen who may not have played McMaster? Have you tried Bug Princess? Uh, no. Okay, because it's not. There's a free version, but I think it only lets you play for like uh, like 60 seconds, mm-hmm. and then it like cuts you off. It's really rude. Yeah. Um, so Ian, why don't you explain for folks what is the scoring system in Bug Princess? Well, in original mode, it's uh, it's basically a risk reward system. So you've got two different shot types, and this doesn't. This is where things get a little weird on the on the iPad because. The two different shot types are also related to how fast your ship goes, but since you're using your finger to drag things around, it's not quite um, a good comparison. But basically, um, you're going to get more points the closer you are to stuff. So you want to be playing as close to the stuff that's coming on to the screen as possible. Uh-huh. And then there's also this other idea of there's certain large enemies that will be on the screen, and when you kill those enemies, they'll cancel all the bullets on the screen. So there's certain points of the game where you want to get as many bullets on the screen as possible. You basically want to be like, you know, half a second away from dying. Then you want to blow up one of these big enemies and have all the bullets get canceled and the items that are going to give you, you know, a buttload of points. Um, 
the second mode is, uh, so the, the original mode, there's that scoring system. It also has less crazy bullet patterns. So there's less stuff on the screen, but everything moves a little bit faster. Um, so that may be easier or harder. But then there's maniac mode, which, um, adds a lot more bullets, a lot more com- a lot more complex patterns to the screen, but things tend to move a lot slower so that you can actually, you know, move through the bullets. And that's that the scoring system and that is all based off around building up this little meter. Now the the meter once you get the meter into the last like eighty percent of it, then it's like in overdrive mode and you can build up points even faster. Um, and when your counter, when you're, I'm probably doing, not doing a great job of explaining this. When your counter gets to a certain point, then you can cash that counter in um, for a crap load of points. Um, it's basically a, a, it's basically the system all comes down to like how much do you want to push your luck. Exactly. So that so that when you die, you will be like, oh, that was my fault. Right. I shouldn't have gotten so greedy. But but it's this classic risk reward right. scenario. The reward is commensurate to how much you're willing to risk. Right. And I think any good. Uh, it, any good like action game or scoring game, it, it puts control and blame entirely on you. Like every time I die in Bug Princess, it's my fault. You know, I knew the the bullets were there. I see the bullet that got me. Like you, you know, it's not like a shooter where how did I die? Who killed me? I know what right. happened. I know it was my fault. I know that I missed. The, 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 there was no way for me to get out that that bullet killed me. Uh, and I know that if I had just been a little less greedy, I wouldn't have died there. Uh, so and uh, so another thing they do though, Ian, is they the control that you have. So for a lot of these games, you are basically just moving a guy around and, and avoiding bullets. But one of the things that Bug Princess does, and that I think any good sh- shooter needs to do, mm-hmm. is it also needs to give you some other way to interact with the level or the scoring system. And in Bug Princess, that involves, and you mentioned this before, toggling between the two fire modes. Um, and this is one of the things that you explained to me, Ian, when, when you recommended uh, Bug Princess specifically, is you explained to me the difference between those fire modes. Right. Uh, one of them, um, and, and, and even then there were a few differences that I had to sort of figure out on my own. Uh, one of them basically sucks all the scoring gems to you. Right. You don't have to chase them down. So you can and that, hang that's, back. That's and, one of the problems mm-hmm. with, with the iPad is that, um, when you're if you're if you're playing this like on a console or like on the actual arcade, the the if you're in if you're if you're in your rapid fire shot mode, you're going to move a lot mm-hmm. faster. When you're using a laser, you're going to be moving slower. So there's going to be times where it's like I really don't want to use this slower shot type. You know, I really don't want to use the laser, even though that's what's going to give me the points because that's going to make my ship go slower. And right now, I need to be moving faster to get out of the way of all these bullets that are coming. And uh, one of the, you know, Ian, one of the had, things is when you're using your auto shot, you suck in the gems automatically. When you're using your laser shot, you have to actually let off the fire button, and then you'll automatically suck the gems in. So you totally lose. What? You, yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. You totally, you totally lose that mechanic on the iPad because all the mechanic on the iPad lets you do is you can put an optional button on the screen to turn your shot on and off rather than having. Right, right. Rather than having two buttons, you know, like if you were using the actual controller, you'd hold down the rapid-fire button or you'd hold down the laser button. With the iPad, you'd have to toggle on and off this switch, which, for me, isn't terribly fluid. So you kind of lose that that mechanic. That's why when we were when I was talking to you about it on the forum, I was like, if you get into this, I'm like, it, you can play this on your 360, and you get even more content, and you're going to have a better... It's going to be easier for you to, to, to get a grasp on the scoring system because you're going to have a physical physical controller there so some, some had, of that kind of stuff is lost with the the ipad 
I had no idea about the variable speeds based on weapon, and like that was completely right. lost on me with the iPad. So one of the uh, I think hardcore criticisms, one one of the criticisms from hardcore players of the genre towards the iPad is that it is too easy when you are just putting your finger on the glass. And by the way, mm-hmm. I think I've rubbed off the fingerprint on the tip of my index finger. If I were if I were arrested for a crime, the cops would get nothing from my right index finger because I have been rubbing that thing across glass relentlessly for the past two weeks. But one of the criticisms from hardcore people is that this makes it too easy, which I hear that and I think that's kind of ridiculous. Now, Ian, your thing about the speed of the shots and, and having the button to, to change whether or not you're firing, that is a point well taken. I can completely understand what's lost there. But... So one of the things I, I did is I went back and I tried an Xbox 360 shooter called Sine Mora. Sine Mora, I'm not sure how you say that. Uh, created by Digital Reality, a Hungarian developer. They had some help from Suda51's Grasshopper manufacturer, a Japanese developer. And it was really difficult for me to play with a 360 after I had been so spoiled. That's because with that's, the direct- that's two things. Number one, you're using the 360 controller. And number two, the control and sign Mariah are pretty terrible because you, you have analog control, which doesn't really work well for, for, you know, for shooters. It's just, you need that digital input. The digital input on sign, you know, sign Mariah or whatever it's called um, is just either off or it's full speed. So yeah. there's no real way to control your, your speed with this stuff. Um, so that's one of the, one of the big problems. Like, I like that game. It's, it's a great game. It's a lot of fun, but, I don't know how anybody would play it competitively, um, just based on the controls and some of the some of the weird choices they made with the the flow of the game. Ian, would I feel differently if I were to try one of the cave shooters that you mentioned on the 360? Yeah, yeah, you would. Um, there's, so there's a couple. You can get the, the the actual 360 version of Bug Princess 2. It's called Mushihimi Sanma, um, which is Japanese for Bug Princess and. It's mm-hmm. Mushimi Sama Futari. Um, the Japanese version of it is region free. Um, there's there's a few of the games that they've released um, for the 360 that are region free. The majority of them aren't, but Mushimi Sama is region free. Um, you get you get the original game mode that you're playing right now with the three difficulties: um, the original, the maniac, and the the god mode. Um, you get an arranged version. Um, which is like a whole other game. That's the, the nice thing that Cave has done this this generation with their 360 games is you buy one of their 360 games, you get the original version that's, that's the arcade game, then you get mm-hmm. one or more arranged modes along with it, which are basically like them fooling around with the game they've created. Um, so it'll be like, they're generally pretty easy, um, but they allow you to like just go nuts with the scoring system. So they're kind of like, you know, they're playful. They're not like real crazy hardcore um, some of them can be more difficult, um, but they also have a novice mode in there, um, which is basically would kind of be comparable to the iPad version of the game, which is just you can sit here and you can play this game without being, you know, without devoting your life to it. And you can focus on the scoring system, and there's leaderboards for it, so you can compete with other people that are into playing that mode. Um, so it's actually, they've done a lot to make their games approachable and give you give you a lot of value for, for buying one of their games. And I think that's why they're they're the most they're one of the only developers left out there is that they actually not they don't just make a game and put it out there and leave it in the arcade to rot. They actually iterate on it, you know, and they release multiple versions of their arcade games into the arcade. Most of the time by um, 
by the time it's actually ready for the home console version, most of the time what you're buying is version 1.5 of the game because it's gone through two or three, you know, PCB, uh, the printed circuit board, what, what actually goes in the, the arcade machine. It's actually gone mm-hmm. through two or three different iterations of them tweaking the scoring system, getting the balance right, adding entirely new mechanics. Um, and you get to see the various, if you get one of the Xbox games, lots of times the, the first print DLC will have a, a code so you can download like version 1.0 of the game so you can see what it was, the very first version was like. And, you know, you can start to understand, well, why, yeah, why this wasn't successful. And then how it's different from what you ended up with in version 1.5. Well, I feel you can even see that level of attention on their iPad releases. Uh, I think specifically of Esp Galuda, which, or Esp Galuda 2, which has what's called a smart mode version where it involves tapping on the screen with your finger to interact with the, 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 the systems, basically. And obviously you can't do that on the 360, so I feel like they did an iPad version of this game and they added a new mode that you could only play on, on the iPad. Yeah, and those, those arranged uh-huh. modes that are on the iPad are, are, are you can only play those on the iPad. They're different than the arranged modes that are in the, the console version. Now, let, let's talk a bit about, though, on the iPad. So, you, you know, of the games I've played, I've found some that are kind of cool. I want to talk briefly about one called Phoenix HD in a second. But, McMaster, what was it like going onto the iTunes store and thinking, hey, I might be interested in one of these cave games. What, what, did, what happened when you did that? <laughs> oh, I'm not all that interested in anything that call it, that's uh, in the uh, the Square Enix pricing bracket. It is a Square Enix thing too, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're all like like what like ten to fifteen dollars. There are all these variations on them. Uh, some of them, by the way, have just this really crass in-app purchases. Yeah. Like, is it is it black label? I think in black in Bug black Princess Two, black label. And, oh uh, God! Best smiles on the iPhone has an entire mode that's basically like in-app purchases. So like you can buy like items for your little shooter character and stuff, and it'll actually power up your 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 little witch that you're controlling and stuff. It's they will affect your score. Yeah, they're not just like cosmetic items. They're things that would. I mean, I don't. Do they do separate leaderboards for these, Ian? Or how? Yeah, do they... yeah, that's a separate game mode, and it's the same thing with the the black label version. Um, I think the only thing that you're for the black label version of Bug Princess 2, I think the only thing that you're buying credits for is the boss rush mode, which has its own separate little leaderboards and stuff. But if you buy Bug Princess 2 black label, you get the full black label game to play. Um, it's just that they want to, they want, you can play one, one game of the boss rush mode for free every day. Otherwise, you right. have to buy packages of what are basically like quarters, you know, to put a credit right. in the game. So it's, it's kind of a, a dick move. But there is, there is a button that says customize, and you go there thinking, oh, I'm going to make a new skin or whatever. And there are little power-ups that cost real-world money, uh, and but that's separate leaderboards, you're saying, because I wasn't aware of that. I was like, you know, screw this. If there's if there's people buying their way up the leaderboard that I'm on, I, I want no part of that. Uh, but that is separate. Okay. Uh, so uh, there, there's another game called uh, Phoenix HD, Ian, and I'm pretty sure you're on that leaderboard. You've played that? Uh, yeah, I think that's the one where you have to where you had to buy the, the ship separately. So you get the base game yes. for free with one ship, and then you buy the two the other ships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Close, yeah, basically. So the, the base game is free, and you get, a, you get I think it's called the Phoenix, the eponymous ship, right. and you can play it all you want, but what it'll say is when you get a high score, it's like, hey, you got a high score. For 99 cents, you can be on the leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's where they first get you. And then there's three additional ships, okay. uh, each of which is 99 cents, which after looking at you know these cave games, which are like $15 up front, and some of them have in-app purchases, that seems eminently fair to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cool thing about the ships in Phoenix HD is how different they feel right. uh, and the different ways that they, they interact so and, and I'm pretty sure Ian it's one of the few games where I'm like hey my high score is above Ian's <laughs> and yeah. I'm guessing that's just I have you have yeah yeah uh, that, that's so, a good one now Warblade is another good one um, you mentioned Galaga as being your mm-hmm. game of the week and that's basically like Galaga with power ups and uh, crazy little warp zones the scoring in it is, is highly random but it's basically it's it's based on a game that some guy did for the Amiga called Deluxe Gallagher or something like that, and then that turned into Warblade, which was available on the PC for a long time, and now there's an iPhone and an iPad version. Um, that's really Warblade. Warblade is it's a it's a crazy Monty Hall mm-hmm. though. Like it really is. Like what I love about Bug Princess is I feel like I'm challenging myself to get better at it, to learn it. It's very gratifying in a different way than Warblade, which is hey, let's see how much crazy junk I can get to drop out of the sky and increase my score. Right. And in fact, one of the things about Warblade is when I sit down and play that, it's going to be like 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So I, like that's that's kind of an endurance thing. There are plenty of ways I can play something like Bug Princess Two or Escaluda where I can get get some gratification out of just three minutes to burn, right. which is another reason that I feel it's so well-suited to the iPad, right. by the way. Uh, I'm not sure I would ever boot up my 360 just to do something for three minutes. And what's, what's really great about the iPad version that the, the console versions don't have is that they have that practice mode where they have leaderboards for each stage. So you can go on and just play right. one stage, you know, have it keep track of your score and have a satisfying game experience for five or ten minutes and actually be ranked based on that. Um, that's something I really wish the console versions did because trying to trying to do, you know, a whole game is a bit much. You know, trying to put together a full run of a game and have a decent score, even if you're not beating the game. That's that's a that's a that's a lot of work. But you know, anybody can sit there and play like one stage of it and then they can play that stage again and if they see an improvement of, you know, a million points or something like that, that's a big deal. And that's something that's very like Somebody can actually hold that amount of information in their head. They can hold the the stage layout in their head. They can under, They can remember. Oh, I died here because this guy comes out from the side and he shoots out this giant bullet pattern. You know, that's something that's manageable for you know anybody. They don't have to be a crazy hardcore player like putting together a full right. five or six stage run. So, you know what it kind of reminds me of, Ian, in a very limited way. But I think of when I've gotten into driving games. Mm-hmm. Enough to where I'm like, you know what, I want to shave some time right, off of exactly. this, this track. Uh, it's sort of like I want to do this level again and see if I can squeeze a few hundred thousand more points out of it. Uh, so, Ian, I, I want to bring up two pet peeves I have with shooters, and I want to see if you'll help me sign an online petition to get these changed. First of all, for for Pete's sake, frickin' put commas in your numbers if it's going to be over a million. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah. Oh, it's so annoying because how many times, mm-hmm. like, you want to you look up there, there and see and what you're... you count the numbers, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. okay. We, we, we've what got, some we've of got the games have done is they'll actually display the last two or three numbers in a different color, which is extremely helpful, you know, but trying to sit there and parse that, that 
Why would you do that? Because we have a long history with figuring out how Arabic numerals are written, and they include commas the if thing, you're in America with, and periods if you're in the, Europe or the thing with uh, the Japanese games. Is they I think the system is that they use periods instead of commas, but they don't do it every three numbers; they do it every four numbers. What? Yeah. I'm pretty sure well, I that, was, that, that would just confuse me. Yeah, I, oh, so so don't it would do be that. Even weirder, you know. Right. Uh, there are even games, yeah, like I can't stand anything like pinball, for instance. Pinball knows to do that. <laughs> they know to put commas in the numbers. So here's another thing that drives me crazy, Ian. In a health-based, in a, in a shooter where you've got health. Yeah, um, nobody calls those shooters. Shmups? <laughs> uh, sh- what do you mean? Now, I just said, usually, it, you know, what I was saying before about, you know, the community tends to be very finicky about what is or isn't a shump, you know, or a shmup or a shooter, whatever we're going to call them. Anything that has a health health bar is usually immediately thrown out. Whoa, wait a minute. There, yeah. there goes Phoenix HD yeah. then, because Phoenix HD is based on how much health do you have. Yeah. You're picking healing power-ups. A lot of times when you shoot some of the enemies, they drop, like, green healing clouds that you want to suck right. up. But, so here's what bugs me about health-based shmups or shooters. I'm okay with it in concept. But for Pete's sake, there's a special circle in hell for anybody who makes one of these games and puts my health bar at the top of the screen. (laughs) Because one of the things that I love about getting in the zone with these games is you're kind of not looking at the top of the screen. You're looking at your ship and you're navigating the patterns. Mm -hmm. And for me to not have within, you know, a few pixels of glancing information about how close I am to dying... That's just BS. Well, that, that's uh, another so that, thing they would like about the 360 games is most of them have configurable layouts. So you have your, your main window you're playing the game in, you know, and you right. have all this extra screen on your TV so you can actually take various parts of the screen and put uh, them in tiny windows around your main like- playing area. So you could put, you know, if the health bar was at the top, you could take a little chunk of that and put it down below at the bottom of the screen. You could put your... Your score, you know, your 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 combo chain counter, any of that stuff. So, I do like that, but alternatively, the designers could do a better job. That's true. <laughs> uh, this, so, uh, one of the I, I've seen that with a few of the iPad games is they do let you drag like interface elements around, which can be hugely helpful. Um, but overall, Ian, what's been most surprising for me uh, is that I have traditionally thought of these games as um, like kind of Twitch based. Oh, I'm dodging a bunch of bullets. And when you look at someone playing them or when you see a screenshot or a video or whatever, it kind of looks like that and it reinforces, oh, this is going to be a a crazy adrenaline-based gameplay experience. But what I'm discovering is that it's not that at all. And in a way, it's it's strangely relaxed. The bullets are a resource. They're there for – people look at that kind of stuff and they think, oh, how could I dodge all that? It's like you're not really dodging that. If you're playing – you know, one of these games on a joystick, you're making small tapping motions. The bullets are there for you to manipulate, either to send the bullets where you want them to go, or figuring out when the best time is to turn all those bullets into points. So it's not really that, that you're you're dancing around the screen doing all these like crazy Neo in the Matrix kind of moves, you know. Well, that's that's part of it, uh, and especially a game like Bug Princess or the Cave Games, I guess, where, where bullets are a resource. But even a, a game like um, like Phoenix HD, uh, I find that it's it's uh, it's this strangely relaxing matter of looking at patterns and recognizing things like you know where the next empty space mm-hmm. is going to come. Like it, it's this. Uh, 
and it's very laid back. It's not a quick twitch reaction. It's sort of watching these patterns unfold and figuring out how to get, how to, to, that get to that space. open space. Right. If that's the part that you really enjoy, there's there's a whole subset of PC shareware games in Japan. They're called Dojin games, and there's a whole set of Dojin games called um, Tohu games. You may have heard of them. They're really kind. They have a weird kind of like community centered around them, kind of like the My Little Pony stuff, because it's these little shrine maidens that are in these little, like, sail, you know, Troy was talking about Sailor Moon's Sailor Moon earlier, they're in these little, little Sailor Moon outfits, but those games are all based around um, the bosses, basically, and the bosses have all these different spells, and the bosses come out, and they'll do this one spell attack, and that's this one bullet pattern that's really intricate and stuff, um, and the games are actually not that hard, because... When you're playing those kind of games, the bullets aren't aimed at you. They're just coming out and playing a pattern. Right. Um, but then somewhere along like, around like the tenth game in the series, that the, the the one guy that makes this game uh, made this game called Shoot the Bullet, and he basically took all the bosses from all the games, put them in this one game, took away the idea of shooting to kill the bosses, and actually gives you your characters on the screen and has a camera. And what you're trying to do is wait for the best point in the pattern to get close enough to the boss and then take a picture of the bullet pattern. <laughs> so it's this really, like, you know, creative kind of idea that's focused just on the bullet patterns, and it's a really kind of, you know, like you said, that's relaxing. You get into the, the actual visual appeal of the, the all that math that's going on on screen. And I do like how playing different games, you start to recognize and anticipate different kinds of patterns. Like there's the classic, you know, the bullets expanding radially. So if you move away from the expansion point, you have more room to maneuver. Uh, there's the lines of bullets where you're looking for the gap to get between. Uh, there's, you know, the, the bullet that comes down and then expands radially that you want to get away from. There's the bullets that move laterally. Right. So you kind of have to gauge where you are on the screen. And it's always, it's always the bullet that's fired by some, like, little crap enemy. You're, like, dodging this great, you know, <laughs> intricate pattern, then there'll be some right. little asshole that'll come in from the side of the screen and shoot one bullet, and that's the bullet that'll kill you, you know? And that's because it breaks the pattern. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, if the pattern breaks, yeah. you know, a bullet that moves at a different speed mm -hmm. or at a different angle. Or here's another thing that drives me crazy, Ian. One of the things I love about the cave games is they seem to understand the idea of a pallet being hugely important. You know, the bullets are always a single color, and it almost becomes a subconscious thing. Like, you're just admiring the screen, and the, that purple color of the bullets in Bug Princess, you know to recognize that, you know, and they never break that rule, really, right. for the most part. Uh, I, I played another game called... And also, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the shape of the bullet also usually identifies the speed of it. So, you know, if it's, if it's, ah, right. if it's an oval shaped bullet, it's usually moving faster and moving straight towards you, whereas the circular bullets are, tend to just be following in their pattern, they tend to be slower, and the larger they are, the slower they are, you know. Uh, like, like you're right, like, now that you mentioned it, I can think of, uh, like, the speed being indicated by, like, a, a little comet right. tail kind of thing behind mm -hmm. it, and, like, that's a fast one, yeah. It's this great instance of just, like, immediately recognizable, it's not technically iconography, but it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna to establish this shape, this color, right. this is what it means, and consistently throughout the game, you know, we're not going to violate right. this, this contract we have that this is how this is going to work. Uh, there's another game I played that... Uh, where there's one point where you shoot a bunch of things on the screen. Uh, they were little Japanese zeros on an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. It was a World War II theme called iFighter. Uh, and once you shoot the little zeros on the aircraft carrier, they're a little burning wreckage, which is kind of cool, a little visual thing of burning wreckage. Mm -hmm. But the yahoos who made this game, and I apologize for calling them that, but the, the guys who made this game, 
It's the same. The, the burning zeros are the same color as the bullets. Right. And that's a huge no-no. You know, what you draw on the screen, what you're showing me, you have to distinguish from the bullets if the game is about right. dodging bullets. So that one little instance, I was again, I was like, screw this game, mm-hmm. I'm not going to play that. They violated the contract exactly. of here's what the bullets look like, here's how you can watch them, and now we're going to confuse you by showing you background noise that, that messes mm-hmm. you up. Uh, that drove me crazy. And that's that's so. why people tend to be so fanatical about cave games. And all oh, caves the only one that knows what they're doing. They're not the only ones, but they're one of the few. Because it's really easy to just take a game and be like, oh, I'm just going to make a shooter, and I'll put a spaceship on the bottom of the screen, and then I'll have some yeah. random enemies come in. But there's there's a lot more to it that's going on in terms of convention, and that's why people tend to be kind of dogmatic about Cave, because Cave's been doing this for a long freaking time, and it tell you, and it, it shows. shows, yeah. They know ex- yeah. everything that's in that game is in there for a reason. Thing You may not understand why it's doing it that way, but, you know, it's there for a reason. Alright, so Ian, someone listening right now, they've heard us talk about these shooters, and they're like, okay, I want to try one. Obviously, I, I would think we should recommend a Cave one, right? Mm-hmm. What do we tell them going into that bewildering array of overpriced games on the iTunes store? What cave, what, what one title do we say, get this one? Um, I would say Bug Princess 2, um, because it gives you the three different game modes. You've got the original mode, um, you've got the, the Maniac mode, which is going to be you know more stuff going on, um, but a little bit slower. Um, it has a totally different the different scoring system, and then it's got the the god mode at the end of that, which is just like totally insane. It's like the whole game turned up to eleven, and everything's really fast. So you get you get a lot of value for your money there. Um, and as, I think it also has the two the two scoring systems. I think are pretty straightforward. They're easy to understand. The other game that you've been playing, the the ESP Galuda two. Honestly, I have that game. I've had it for the three hundred and sixty. I've had it on the iPad. I still have no idea how to play that game. Because it's, it's, it's very, the systems in that game are much more complicated than other, than other shooting games, um, in my Do you opinion. call it, do you call it ESP Galuda? Yeah. Oh, that's how, that kind of makes more sense, because I was like, what kind of word is ESP Galuda? Yeah, it's ESP Galuda. There was, the original one was ESP Rade or something like that, then there was ESP Galuda, and then there was ESP Galuda too. And the ESP is because you're playing these little, these little magic kids that have, you know, psionic powers or something like that. Extra sensory perception. Yeah. So, okay, that, that guy, so part of what's confusing to me about ESP Galuda is you've got three different, you know, ships. They're actually right. these little kids. When you pick one, it then takes you to another screen where you pick your, uh, the level you want to start mm-hmm. at. The character you have picked changes to a completely different character. Yeah, it, change, it changes, it, you don't change, it's, it's, you're not changing a different character, you're changing your gender. I don't like so that. So the boy. Ver- there's the boy version, and then the boy turns into a girl, and the girl turns into a boy. So it's what's up with that? I don't. What's the backstory on that? Ian? I find that very confusing. The cave's weird. That's I don't know. Because here's what the, happens. A lot of their. I don't know if you've noticed in Mushihime, the Bug Princess game. You're playing like right? a six-year-old girl, and like in the promo art and stuff like that, you, there's like panty shots of her. It's why because well, that's that's because anime. They're Japanese that's... and they're fucking weird. I mean, that's that's what it is. <laughs> so so here's the thing though about uh, Bug Princess. I I don't know what the, in Bug Princess. By the way, they speak in Japanese during the game. Right. I have no idea what they're saying because I don't speak Japanese. They're even they're not really cutscenes, but a boss will come out, and there's maybe one or two lines of dialogue. I have no idea what's being said, but I invent it in my head. So, Ian, 
Bug Princess for me is about this weird kind of like Hansel and Gretel thing. It's a brother and sister. They're in a mysterious bug world. And the crazy witch at the end, uh, she's like the evil stepmother sort of witch thing. Uh, so I don't know if that's close, but that's my reading of Bug Princess. Espigaluda, on the other hand, totally confuses me because when I get a screen of characters and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be the little sexy witch chick. Right. And in the next screen, she turns into basically some androgynous dude wearing Al Pacino's getup right. from Cruising, that movie where he goes into gay, undercover, hardcore <laughs> bondage bar. I find that very confusing. I don't know what's going on with the story. Uh, yeah, so I, I I don't know what to make of that one. Yeah, if you want to have um, a good laugh, there's a PSP game out there called Cho and Nikki. You should, that's a that's a shoot em, a shooter. You should check that one out if that's your. It, but can it, I play it on the iPad? Um, I, 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 maybe there's an iPad version coming, but it's basically about two gay bodybuilders. <laughs> and they, they made right. multiple games in this series. It's like well, a thing. That sounds a lot like, uh, oh, God. What was that, Clover? Um, uh, Okami. No. No, Okami's about a wolf. It's not about a gay wolf. Uh, a wolf that... No, what... <laughs> God hand, God, God hand. hand, yeah. yeah it's right. like, oh my God, there's some much, really interesting like, parts of God hand. Yeah. It's very much like he's Gary God hand, but uh, but a shooter. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So McMaster, I want to see your name on the Bug Princess Two leaderboards one of these days. Uh, and by the way, I've uh, I I think Ian. And I don't, I don't want to speak prematurely, but I think I might be within striking distance of many of your scores in Bug really? Princess. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not good, but I am persistent. I will blow plenty of time. You know, it's all three minutes at a time, but I've been spending a fair amount of time, like, grinding away at the scores in these games. I'm better than most of the people on my friends list. So if you're listening and you're on my friends list, for the most part, you can suck it because I beat your high scores. Ian, I'm coming for you. Are you sure you want me to get this game, Tom? You're, you're gonna be you're gonna be really sad if I if I say anything after this because nah, I'll just leave it. <laughs> All right, I, I just like. That I was gonna say it'd be real easy for me to bust your bubble, but I won't. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I've beat your score yet. I'm just saying that maybe if you don't play anymore, yeah. I, whatever score, like you just sort of knocked out on one of the levels. So I should I should I should expect some kind of Morrowind type assassination attempt in the middle of the night. I'm going to be visited by an assassin to, to lock my score in time forever so that you can eclipse me on the leaderboard. Maybe we'll just steal your iPad. We don't have to kill you. We could just we could just steal your iPad. But I can. Uh, I know how to go to the store. Uh, we'll ask room. them to kick you out. We'll say, hey, if Ian shows up at the iStore, I want you you iGeniuses to boot him out. Don't let him near an iPad. Genius. You'll get me put on. You'll get me put on the terrorist watch list or something, so I won't be able to buy any electronic devices. There's many ways around this, Ian, thanks to the Patriot Act, without taking <laughs> physical harm on you. Uh, well, Ian, thank you so much for, A, helping me discover this genre. It's been really exciting. Like, I, I, you, you get to be our age, and you think, you know what? I've discovered most of the cool stuff I'm going to discover in my life. And then you find this awesome genre that really gets its hooks into you that's completely unlike other things. The, the closest I can relate it to is really digging pinball games. Right. Uh, is getting into that whole scoring thing, but it's a completely different aesthetic. It's a completely different sensation. You know, when I play a pinball game, it's kind of like when I play a shooter. I get kind of like tense, and I'm like, oh god, I don't want to lose the ball, and I'm all cramped, and my shoulders are all tight. But when I when I play these shooters, like I said, it's it's really oddly relaxing. 
Uh, and it doesn't, you know, I, it's, it's just very laid back. I feel like I'm in control. If I don't push it too hard, I won't die. You know, when I do die, of course, a string of imprecations and curses comes from my mouth immediately, but it's not a tense, uptight experience. So it's been completely different, and I've really appreciated discovering it, and I don't think I could have done it without the help of you guys in the thread, and specifically you, Ian. So thank oh, you. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Uh, McMaster, have we sold you on shooters? Um, not really, but uh, I, I might give it a shot. I might. <laughs> Uh, Phoenix HD, you can play for free, and you can see... Oh, no, you know what? That's one where you have to pay the 99 cents to get on the leaderboard, which, by the way, that's pretty insidious. That's pretty rough, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, It would be better if uh, it said pay 99 cents, like if you if you got a, a high enough score, it said pay 99 cents to make Tom Chick your bitch or something like that, then that might be a little bit better marketing. Yeah, You know what, Ian? That's going to cost everyone at least a dollar. <laughs> I get that for free. <laughs> Yeah, what, what are you uh, talking so about? That's every Tuesday. Yeah, just not vampires. <laughs> Good God, I I can throw down on some pinball, and I don't think I need to tell you about Sarah. See, pinball is one of those things I've tried because they've released all the games the past couple of years, and I just that's one of those things where I don't get it. I, yeah, I find that odd to hear you say that, Ian. If you, if, I can't imagine. Well, maybe it's it's just really maybe it has to have been in your makeup as a kid. Like I remember playing pinball at the Seven Eleven across the street from the apartments where I was waiting on the bus for like sixth grade, and I remember like every quarter being precious and oh god, here comes the bus and I've, I'm only in the second ball. Uh, so I just have such fond memories of that as a kid, kind of like you talking I, about playing Galaga. Right. But see, that's not completely true because I was not a pinball fan as a kid. I actually, because you kept talking about pinball FX too, is really when I got into it. Well, you know what, McMaster? Next step, Bug Princess Two. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, before we go, a quick announcement. I can't really say much because of embargoes, uh, but I do have a two-word review of Sleeping Dogs, oh, yeah. which is the, the open-world game published by Square Enix, yeah. developed by United Front Gamers. It comes out next week. My two-word review is... Oh, dear. Yeah, we're going to have to talk later. Wow. <laughs> we'll <have more> talk. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, also next week, by the way, Darksiders 2 is out. I didn't realize this. Darksiders 2 and Sleeping Dogs on the same day. No. Uh, I was really excited to see you talk about Road to Enlightenment. Uh, I can't wait to try that, because I got a copy today. Ah, well, maybe that will be a game of the week next week. It's a beautiful game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really, it really is. It's really. Ian, real quick, do you do board games? Uh, I've played Catan and a few other ones like that. Nothing oh, yeah. super hardcore, but... Uh... I, I love it when you ask someone, there's like there's like gradations of casualness, yeah. and the bottom line is when you ask someone, and they're like, oh, well, I've got Monopoly in the closet. Well, like one, one level up from that Catan. is... <laughs> well, not quite, Ian. Catan, no. before you get to Catan, I think you have Order, people who've oh. tried like... Like Ticket to Ride. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, Ticket to Ride. One level up from that are things like like Puerto Rico or Catan or Carcassonne. Uh, I'm, I'm so like Catan, Cosmic Encounter. Um, oh, there you go. A few okay. of the card games like Munchkin yeah. and some of the other ones. Oh, similar uh, yeah. So you're 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 in there. So, yeah. A little, yeah, little, little, little bit of Magic the Gathering, but we actually had the 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 World Board Gaming Championship right across oh. the street from last week. I know all about that. I was so, not there, but I heard quite a bit about it. From yeah, I was driving. App. I was driving down the main drag here, and I was like, "World Board Gaming Championship? What the hell is that?" It was like the last day of it, and I googled it online, and it's. I thought it was gonna be Monopoly or something, but it's like all these real board games. Like, 
Monopoly. There you yeah. go, Ian. Wait, the wait a deep championship, but no, it was like advanced squad leader and Titan and all these yeah. smelly. That probably would have been like going to a mud convention. So. Oh. <laughs> See. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe next week we'll talk a bit about Road to Enlightenment. Ian, come on over, join me and McMaster for a game of Road to Enlightenment. Uh, McMaster, I need you to play Luxembourg. Of course. When we it's play. always, always something like Luxembourg. Well, you know, we need someone to be Luxembourg. You only get one character. Uh, he's going to be a page boy. He's a depressed page boy. The depressed page boy, uh, he doesn't have many points, but we need you to play that character. I will be, uh, France. And as long as you pay me uh, your money every turn, I won't conquer you. Oh, that sounds fair. Okay, good enough. <laughs> uh, so next week, join us for uh, more Games of the Week and News of the Week. I have been Tom Chick, joined by Jason McMaster. And Ian, thank you so much, and we will see you around on the forum as Angry Coder. Great, thanks for having me. Uh, this has to be one of those songs from one of those games, right? Yeah, it's from it's from Bug Princess. Uh, yeah, come on, Master. Aren't, aren't you rocking out to? Th- I thought, like, why the hell are you playing like a 1980s like public television sci-fi movie soundtrack? <laughs> but I guess that's cool. Overdrawn at the memory for... bank. <laughs> <laughs> for all Julia's finest role, other than Street Fighter. <laughs>